This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in to Shot and Vip, a podcast brought to you by Inside Carolina this football season by Johnny T-Shirt, co-hosting this. I'm Taylor Vipolis, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman and teammate, Jeff Schottmer. The victory bell extend its lease in Chapel Hill for for a fifth straight year. North Carolina wins a thriller in the Duke UNC matchup, winning 47-45 in double OT. A, a lot to process in this game. A lot of emotions. It was it was a roller coaster. What were your biggest takeaways watching this? I, I guess I've kind of changed my tone as the seasons you know gone on. You know I've been. I was very high early, and then maybe the last two weeks, two or three weeks, I've been a little bit more negative. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch back to that positive, positive side, and you know, don't take a win for granted. Don't take a fifth straight win over Duke for granted. Don't take watching Drake Mankeenan for the last time for granted. You know, don't take a packed Keenan night game when your team is ranked in the top 25 on a beautiful fall night for granted. And then the last thing is like, don't under, don't underestimate 21 year old athletes teaching us lessons on perseverance like Noah Burnett did. You know, he was the biggest takeaway of the, of the night for me with all these other, you know, huge stories. Noah Burnett gets benched. He misses a huge kick last year, you know, a 30 something yard versus NC State gets benched, comes back and and drills a clutch kick to essentially like kind of save our season you know if we lose that game then all hell breaks loose and uh especially after being up you know 12 points in the fourth quarter so Noah Burnett good for you dude I mean uh, 18 to 19 on the year and he's just he's been clutch when we needed him so uh I guess that's kind of my opening statement you know never take a win for granted it's always great to beat Duke that victory bell should stay in Chapel Hill for a long time and 
uh, you know, Duke's a good football team. That, that's a good win. I, I know they were on their third string quarterback, but you know, that, that defense is still the same defense that played really well versus Notre Dame and uh, versus a bunch of other teams, you know, Elko's a, he's a really, 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 really good coach. So uh, good, good win. Yeah. That defensive front from Duke is really serious and, it was the the top defense in the ACC going into that matchup, and the Carolina offense scores forty seven points. The you have the the playmakers. I think eventually the the playmakers for North Carolina were were just too much for this Duke team with guys like Drake May and and Omar and Hampton, who every passing game they look more and more like first team All ACC people. And you know if, if those two aren't first team All ACC. I think a lot of people in Chapel Hill have uh, reasons to go ride at the at the ACC offices or whoever's voting on those two things because you know it, it's it's one of those situations where like where would this team be without Drake May and Omar and Hampton on a week in week out basis? Noah Burnett, he he's pretty much been like an afterthought this season, and I think a lot of fans it, it's easy to take for granted somebody like Noah Burnett where. You know, you send out your field goal operation and you almost just expect your your kicker to make it. But, you know, these are 18 to 21 year olds. You you have that range of emotions where he gets benched. He he gets recruited over when Carolina brings in a kicker like Ryan Coe from Cincinnati. Ryan Coe gets injured and then all of a sudden his opportunity is back there and he he's making the absolute not only is he making the most of his opportunity, but. He's become such a weapon for this North Carolina team when they have stalled out in, in the red zone. Having the that like safety blanket, knowing that Noah Burnett's been, you know, rock solid as a as a kicker this year has been something that this North Carolina team can lean heavily on. That that kick, I, I think you hit it best. That that kick could have swung the entire mood of of the season and, and we would probably have a a much drastic tone uh, if that kick doesn't go through. I, I couldn't tell from the press box. It it looked like that kick didn't have everything on it. Like like um, like maybe somebody got a hand on it or something. Uh, but the the second you see the ref put his hands up and you're going to OT, it's kind of like okay, brand brand new ball game. But uh, yeah, I I think this game for North Carolina has has had a lot of this the same staples of games that we've seen the past two years since Drake May has been the starting quarterback where the defense has their moments where they look good. They have their moments where they look really, really bad. And then the game kind of comes down to can Drake May go, you know, Greg Barnes described it as like magician mode and, and, and save a North Carolina season. And he did. And Drake May is kind of the person that we think he is, uh, Offensively for this North Carolina team, I, I mentioned that their playmakers were just too much. You have Drake May, Omar in Hampton, Tez Walker, Bryson Nesbitt as as that kind of big four for this Carolina offense. What did you see from them, and how do you think they kind of propelled this North Carolina team to victory? I mean, legit difference makers. You know, all four of them are top three round NFL draft picks. You know, led by Drake, who possibly is going to go number one now. Uh, you know. They all are just extremely competitive, extremely tough, extremely talented football players. You know, Drake, first start with him. You can never find enough words to talk talk about Drake and his excellence. But just his playmaking ability, like it was all over the field on, on Saturday night. 
you know, the, the plays where he's eluding sacks, especially the fourth down one in the second half where he, you know, he gets the ball off and, you know, 99% of quarterbacks are going down, you know, the play where he's running with the ball and pitches it to Hampton, you know, you could count on, on two hands, the, the amount of crazy plays that Drake makes and he just does it week after week uh, next to Hampton. I mean, he's turned into a, uh, you know, at least a second round running back next year. Um, he's as physical of a running back as you'll find in college football. You know, he, he's a plug and play guy that if, if Georgia's running back or Alabama's running back was flip flop with him, he'd look the exact same. You know, he had, I think, 40 touches, 200 plus yards. Um, just he wears down defenses. And Duke has been a physical defense all year. Good linebackers, good safeties, good D line, great scheme. And, and and Hampton, every time he got the ball, he was punishing dudes once again. Um, and then Tez, I mean, what a story. What a story. I mean, to deal with all the shit that he's dealt with this year and then go produce at the level he has. Like, he's played six games and has 600 yards and six touchdowns. You know, the, the thing that stood out to me the most, obviously his straight line speed. He, he's probably the fastest, you know, deep down the field threat that we've had since Matt Collins. But, you know, Two of the balls that Drake threw to him were a little underthrown, but Tez does does such a good job of, you know, he's got his defender beat by two yards and he sees, he tracks the ball and sees it's underthrown a little bit. So he slows down and kind of shields the receiver. And then he times his jump so well and has elite ball skills. So what, what he does down the field is honestly, we don't, we don't throw him enough deep shots. He, he should, he warrants five deep shots a game because, you know, we're converting at a, high clip with him and drake so might as well just you know flex him to the field put the, put the all, all the other skilled players in the boundary and just let him you know you're going to get one-on-one coverage and just let him him try to beat the beat the corner we we can't have enough of that um and then nesbitt you know he's he's really turned it on the last you know couple games you know he was out there with an offensive lineman's knee brace and just kept making play after play to keep us alive and uh, you know, none bigger than that fourth quarter touchdown in the in the in the in that end zone, which has become you know a, a crazy end zone for for touch, late touchdowns in a game. You know, I think of uh, you know B- Bug Howard versus Pitt had a had yeah. a crazy touchdown catch in that corner. You know, uh, Josh Downs. It wasn't at the end of the game, but his catch versus Virginia. Virginia Cam Sexton. One, yeah. Cam you saw Sexton Josh Downs on on Sunday. He he, he had that, that, that looked very like similar the exact same catch as Virginia. It just wasn't in the end zone. I mean. Just those four guys, I can't say enough good things about them. That uh, they carried our team. They, when I when I talked a couple of weeks ago about our coaches grabbing, you know, our team by the hand and walking them to the finish line, that's what those four guys did in this game. They grabbed the team, you know, they they grabbed their collar and were like, "We're going to take you to victory. Just just hop on our backs and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take the lead. We'll make the plays, and and you guys follow suit." So you know, those four guys are special and. Uh, I, I bet, you know, three of the four are gone after this year. I hope we can keep Nesbitt, but, uh, you know, there's a chance he leaves, but he, uh, they're a talented bunch. Yeah, each, each week that kind of passes, you're seeing their stock go up where, you know, you're looking around at, at the wide receiver, um, the wide receiver, the draft-eligible receivers, and, and Tez Walker is flying up that board. I, I think you're right where if – Anything one-on-one, I'm taking that chance with with Tez Walker and letting him go make a play. It's something where it feels like uh, late, like when North Carolina did have to make that drive, there was a lot of attention over the top with, with safety help 
to where North Carolina couldn't get those deep shots. And Drake was like, okay, I'll just keep taking these checkdowns to the Bryson Nesbitts and uh, Omar and Hampton and, and keep getting that 10 or 15 yards of play and getting into field goal range. But I, I think as against Clemson and against NC State, those teams are going to have to put more people on Tez Walker because he is he is such a weapon. And if you if you do put somebody on him, you know, that's just going to open up the field for for everybody else. And I I think I described it the exact way you did it in my post-game video where I was like, these playmakers for North Carolina drag this team to the finish line. They drag the team. They drag the coaches. Um, because at, at times it didn't feel like North Carolina deserved to win that game when when you need one stop from the defense at, at the end of the game and they go down in nine plays, 75 yards in a minute, 15 seconds. Uh, before that drive, when, when North Carolina scored, uh, I think it was the Bryson Nesbitt touchdown. Mm -hmm. I turned to somebody and I was like, I think Carolina scored too fast. And I was like, (laughs) only, I was only like 50% joking. Uh, and then you see what, what Duke does and they go down the field so easily. And for North Carolina to respond, it's, it's, you, you can't take somebody like Drake May for granted and, Watching him play football at, at the university the past two years has been so, you know, so tremendous to watch. And he's somebody where the, the more I watch him, the more I have a hard time seeing how he doesn't go um, number one overall. And, and an NFL team kind of falling in love with him as their the franchise option. Um, but, but I talked about the coaches, and I think one of the things that gets talked a lot about today from that Duke game is North Carolina inside the red zone. They have nine red zone trips to Duke's four. And if, if North Carolina converts at a higher touchdown percentage rate in the red zone, this isn't really a game We're we're not talking about going to overtime. We're not talking about the defense needing one stop for as bad as the defense was in the fourth quarter. If, if the North Carolina offense scores in the red zone, they put this Duke team away pretty easily. What did you see in the red zone? And then specifically, there was there was one instance where North Carolina, um, they kind of fell in love with the idea of the tush push. And I think that's kind of where, where Carolina has to know their personnel. Their offensive line isn't the Philadelphia Eagles. Drake May isn't Jalen Hurts. You have a bulldozing back in Omar and Hampton. What did you kind of think of North Carolina in the red zone on, on Saturday night? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That was that was the main glaring issue in the game to me. It was, you know, our red zone offense and then our red zone defense. Um, I, I think maybe all next week, you know, maybe we just practice red zone offense because, you know, our, our middle of the field offense and our coming out offense, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine. But, you know, where we've had problems, even going back to Coach Longo, is, is when we get in the red zone and the, the, you know, the field condenses and – our offensive line gets exposed more. That's, that's kind of when we struggle. Um, you know, there, there's a couple times where we're just throwing like quick now screens, Duke's in man coverage and we're, we're getting the ball out right away. And, you know, they're in man coverage. So as soon as I'm in man coverage over the number two receiver and he gets the, he, he turns the quarterback gets the ball right now. Well, shoot, I'm diving down and trying to go, go and make an easy tackle. There just wasn't, there wasn't much creativity at times. There was two times when we scored in the red zone, there was tons of creativity, you know, and I just feel like we don't have enough plays in our, in our, in our, in our Rolodex that, you know, of 
of creative plays in the red zone that we have. Um, you know, I will say the most important drive that we had in the red zone was the, the one in double overtime and we scored. We ran the ball four times. And the last one was it was a Drake design run with a lead blocker in Hampton. So, you know, that that was great. And and then there was another one where Drake scored in the first half off a of zone read. Um, but if you look at the sheer numbers, four out of nine, that is awful, especially given the playmakers we have. You know, we have Bryson Nesbitt. He's he's a big body. He can go up and get it. We have Tez Walker can go up and get it. And then we have Hampton who can pound it. And Drake, who's obviously an athletic guy, who can run it. So we have a plethora, plethora of options. Plethora, plethora. What am I saying? Plethora of options. Um, so we just got to get more creative. And, and uh, look, I'm not in the offensive staff room with them, so I, I don't know exactly, you know, what, what they're going through and what they're talking about. But um, we got to find a way to get the ball in the end zone. And then on defense. Um, you know, I obviously played for Coach Chizik in 2015, and one of his staples and what he truly believes in is red zone defense. And we were really, really good that year because we had a whole a whole practice essentially. Wednesday was our red zone defense day, and we and we got 30 to 40 reps of red zone defense, and that's why we were really good. And you know, for for Duke to have the ball four times in the red zone and score on all four, um, that, that, that is not good football. That's not winning football. And, um, hopefully, you know, that won't come, you know, bite us in the, in the last couple of games, but it wasn't like Duke was scheming up anything crazy either when, when they were on offense, you know, there was, I remember one of the touchdowns in the second half, it was just a simple inside zone handoff with a crack replace. And we have an unblocked cornerback and he doesn't make the tackle. Uh, we still can't stop the quarterback run inside the red zone. Um, you know, the, just the basic generic zone read play where the quarterback keeps the ball. Um, we still haven't figured able to fi- we haven't figured out how to stop that. So it's not like Duke is or, or, or other opponents are like doing these crazy schemes against us. It's just like we're having one guy make a mistake and that costs us down in the red zone. So we, we got to get that straightened out uh, because that was a like you said, if if. If we stop, if our defense stops Duke twice and makes them kick field goals, and then our offense scores twice instead of kicking field goals, you know, it's a it's a 17, 20 point difference. Yeah. You know, 14 to 17 point difference. So, um, you know, that's the game right there. Is it the, this game specifically came down to the red zone, and that's that's 100% the fact. Yeah. Even when, um, even with Duke starting a third string quarterback, when North Carolina was kicking field goals early in the game, when they would get into the red zone, you had that feeling like this is going to be something that comes back that could come back to, to bite Carolina. And it almost did to a point where, you know, they're, they almost lose a game that they, they should win pretty easily. And I think when, when you're looking at, I I don't want to, I don't want to minimize, you know, how difficult it is to to call plays and how to game plan against another really good staff. But for this North Carolina team, it, it does seem like there's a correlation where if you give the ball to Omar and Hampton in the red zone, good things are going to happen. He just has a tendency to fall forwards. He, he's, uh, he's pretty reliable in, in picking up the tough yards. He has like 13 touchdowns. His, his numbers rushing this year are are at an unbelievable rate. And for this North Carolina team, you're, you're looking at their numbers. They're a top 10 scoring offense. 
They're a, a top 10 total offense. They're the best offense in the ACC, but you look at their red zone touchdown uh, conversion percentage, and it is 62.75%, which is 58th in the country. So then you're like, wait, we have a, we have a top 10 offense, but our red, once we get in the red zone, we're, we're a middle of the road offense and you have Drake May and you have Bryson Esbitt and Tez Walker and Omar and Hampton. And there does feel like there, there's something off there where those numbers don't really match up. And if this North Carolina team has a, a top 10 red zone offense, you, you win the Virginia game because you give the ball to Omar and Hampton. Uh, if I don't remember exactly how they did in, in the Georgia tech game, but you know, when you're a top 10 total offense, a top 10 scoring offense, and a top 10 red zone offense scoring touchdowns, there's not too many things your defense can do to lose you, to lose you games because you're going to be scoring at, at such a, a ridiculous percentage. And North Carolina's defense, you mentioned how they've struggled in, in the red zone this season. Uh, their red zone touchdown conversion percentage is 63.89%, which is 90th in the country. So um just just not good all around once once teams are are getting inside the 20 I want to get to the defense what did you see from their performance because it, it felt like more of the same where from quarter to quarter you don't really know what you're going to get with them yeah well, once again they were hot and cold you know two good quarters and two terrible quarters you know um the, the thing that bothered me in this game was we were in position to make tackles and we just weren't doing it, you know, from all levels, you know, our power echoes, missed a few said, missed a few, uh, geo biggers, uh, will Hardy, our corners missed a couple. Um, and, and then sometimes when we are making contact, we're getting dragged and, and pushed back and, you know, we're just not playing with the physicality and the, the pursuit angles that we we've shown at times this year. Um, and I have been a little critical of our of our defensive coaches, but there were a bunch of times in this game, the coach's job, the defensive coach's job on a run play, if you have an unblocked player, when we say an unblocked hat to the ball, that's on the player. Okay, if, if, if your scheme is good and you have an unblocked player at the point of contact and he's not making the play, like, okay, the players got to look themselves in the mirror and they got to make them. And I know on the two touchdown runs in, in the second half, or in the second half, we had two unblocked players both times with outside leverage and both of them got beat to their leverage and didn't even put a hand on the running back. So it wasn't scheme. The scheme was perfectly fine. It was just their running back was better than geo biggers and their running back was better than Amari Chapman. And, um, you know, so just, you know, I'll get to the, the end of the, the end of the game um, drive in a little bit, but just, you know, the first, the first quarter was great. We come out and get, get a, a three and out and the next drive Duke has, we, we, you know, we make them punt and then, you know, we, we go, go play cold football again. We're just so hot and cold and we can't stay consistent. It's, it's one or two guys here and there, you know, we'll show flashes a really good ball. And then, you know, we, we resort back to, you know, just average ball. And, you know, we come out in the third quarter and it's the same thing. We, we don't let up any points. And then the fourth quarter comes and we let up 22. It's just, I don't, I don't know how to put a finger on it other than, you know, we just, we're, we're in position to make plays. We're just not making tackles. Um, so it, it, it's, you, a, it's, it's a mix of things. 
Yeah, how do, how do you balance that? You know, players are in the right position to make plays, but they're not making plays. And at some point, you know, you, you said it's it, it's on the players when when they're you know unblocked, not making the plays. But when it happens, you know, over and over, and, and this has become a trend. How do you kind of balance that between the players and the coaching staff? Got to recruit better. I, I think where we've where we've lacked in our defense is is this is the safeties i don't think we've had a, a true playmaking safety in a long time um you know think of like a set gray type player at, at safety we haven't had that um like an eraser that's you know going to come come from the third second level and and knock you down every time he hits you um you know i, I think teams i think offenses that we face do a good job of scheming and and putting our safeties in position to make tackles because they know our scheme they know you know what runs when we're running bracket coverage or quarters coverage okay here's how we get a one-on-one tackle with the safety and the running back and our running back is better than your safety so credit the you know the, the scheme of the other teams but um i guess the easy way is just to recruit better at the safety position um yeah that's simple as that yeah, and I, I think the the frustration from the Carolina fan comes from not only having a quarterback in Drake May, but where it feels like you're you're wasting him not getting to a, a conference championship game appearance with a with a generational quarterback like that. But I think part of the frustration too is you do see the flashes. They 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 have these moments. Uh, where they come out of the locker room at halftime, where you're like, "Wow, this this can be a, a good defense." In the overtime, when when you know they start making plays and and they're they're being an attacking defense and forcing Duke backwards, and then they'll have these plays where you you, you mentioned it the the outside leverage plays where where Duke had both their rushing touchdowns. You're like, oh, that guy's right there to make a play, and then the running back just bounces to the outside and and walks his way into the end zone. And it, it it has gotten to a, a frustration level. And you look at the third quarter for Duke. Duke had Duke got shut out in the third quarter. Uh, Sixteen total yards, averaged one point six yards per play in the third quarter. The fourth quarter disaster. Twenty two points for Duke. Two hundred and nine yards. Seven point seven yards uh, per play. And I. I have a stat for you. If you take the fourth quarter from the last four ACC games that Carolina has played and you put it all together in one game, 65 points, 790 yards. How do you even begin to to process those numbers for what this what this defense has looked like in fourth quarters? <laughs> I got no words. It's it's like our, our defensive players have ADD and, you know, they're locked in for periods of time and then, you know, they're just like all over the place at other times. It's just like if we get them to lock in and, and play consistent ball, they're a pretty good bunch. Like they've shown flashes of really good ball. Um, I kind of I kind of want to talk about the, the final drive. If if, if if that's cool with you, I kind of want to yeah. recap the whole thing and you know, kind of kind of talk about that because I think that was, you know, the most obviously the most important drive of the game. So let's set the stage, right? You know, Bryson just had that unbelievable touchdown. Um, we're up 33-29, you know, 155 to play. Duke has three timeouts. So 
two minutes to go with three timeouts, time really isn't a factor. And, and, you know, with the way offenses can move the ball now, you know, Duke has, we know Duke has to score a touchdown. So, you know, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the coverages we've run in that drive and the mix of, you know, pressures versus drop eight, et cetera. So first play, you know, drive starter for Duke. They're just trying to, you know, advance the ball five, seven yards. They throw an incomplete pass. You know, we were just in a four man rush playing quarters defense. Second play, okay, we have a six-man pressure, incomplete pass. Great. Third play, same six-man pressure, incomplete pass. Oh, no, no, they, they got a first down there. Okay, the fourth play, we go to a, a rush three, and we drop eight guys in coverage. Okay, and, and, and this is where, you know, fans can critique, is it coaches or is it player? Well, well this, this play, for instance, was all player, okay? So it was a three-man rush. Rucker was the edge to the – the Duke sideline, you know, after the snap of the ball, he, he's rushing. It gets kind of bumped around. He ends up behind Des Evans, who was the field defensive end. And we only have three guys rushing. So obviously the quarterback of Duke sees the void and starts scrambling. And then now the, the flat defender is pulled to go pull up the quarterback. So he leaves his coverage and the quarterback just dumps it behind his head. And, you know, on paper, we had everything covered, but one guy came in Rucker didn't do his job. And now he he causes a string of events. Now the, the flat defender has to come out of his coverage to go tackle the quarterback. It's just like, do your job. If, if each player just does his job on each specific play, like we have some calls that are that are, per, are, are perfect for what Duke's running. The next play, compounding effect. Rucker made a mistake to play before. He jumps offside. This is the next play. Okay. Then the following play. They run a simple inside zone handoff. It's the most simple run in college football. Every middle school, high school, college, pro, NFL, that everyone runs it. They just hand the ball, the offensive line zones one way, and, you know, very simple. Rucker, who is kind of doing his own thing at this point, he, uh, you know, he doesn't squeeze the hip of the tackle, creates a seam for the running back, and they get a 16-yard gain off a simple run play that, you know, we should knock down for three yards. Um, and then, you know, we, we, they do another run the next play, get three yards. The next play, we run another drop eight coverage incomplete pass. Okay. Then the ninth play of the drive, they go to a, uh, they're passing the ball. Once again, we have a five man pressure. We're playing man defense incomplete pass. So now we get to the fourth down and here's where I think coaching, uh, played a factor in, in, you know, us not being able to stop them on this drive. So. If, if you guys remember, on it was fourth and seven. Um, Duke comes out of the huddle, and they have a two-by-two two alignment. And Coach Brown, I guess, sees something that he doesn't like from our defensive alignment. You know, we're, we're showing man coverage. We're showing all our DBs matched up with their skill, and we're going we're to pressure look. So what does Duke do? Or no, so Matt calls a timeout, okay? So Duke sees that, and they, they ID what coverage we were going to run against what they were going to do on their fourth down play, the biggest play of the game. So what what Duke does, they come out in a bunch, three by one, outside of the timeout, and they know that we're going to run a pressure look and man coverage. And it ends up being a, a cover zero blitz. So they drew up a, a cover zero blitz beater. Okay. And, and the issue I have, it's not that, that we call this blitz, is the execution of how we did it. So to teach, to teach everyone who doesn't have a crazy football knowledge, um, a cover zero blitz is where we're playing man coverage across the board with all the skill players. So if there's four receivers, our four DBs are covering their four receivers. 
and we are sending one more guy than Duke can block. So if they have six six blockers, so the five offensive linemen and the running back, we're bringing seven guys. So that we're going to have one guy hot to the quarterback. So that means that the the quarterback has to get the ball out, you know, in under two seconds, or he's going to get hit in the face. So our DBs know that if they're if we're blitzing cover zero, they are taught that on the first break of a receiver, you know, they're triggering because anything else should be taken care of by the rush. So the issue we had when we ran our cover zero blitz was, you know, obviously we were bringing one more than they can block, but we had two guys. When you run a cover zero blitz, all seven defenders should be on the line of scrimmage. Okay. There shouldn't be, you know, one or two guys at linebacker depth because we're trying to get to the quarterback as fast as possible. And the issue we had was geo biggers. And I figured it was another safety. They were three or four yards off the, off the line of scrimmage. So on the snap of the ball, they still have three or four yards to get to the line of scrimmage and then four or five to get to the quarterback. So, you know, in a cover zero blitz, that's that's an extra half half second to, you know, three fourths of a second that where they could get to the quarterback and they could hit the quarterback before the balls before he, he can release the ball. So I didn't have an issue with our call. I had an issue with how we executed it, how we taught it, because obviously the players had no idea because they weren't taught that they were, they were blitzing from depth at a, on a cover zero blitz. That's unheard of. And it, it's not Marcus Allen's fault at all. Because like I said earlier, he's taught, they ran a slugger, which is a slant and go. So Marcus Allen, he see, he's, he's going to nail down on the slant because he knows if, if, if they stick and not him, then it should be a sack. And yeah. if you look, if you, if you look at the replay, the, the quarterback even kind of hitched before he threw the ball, like he caught it, took two steps and kind of like pumped and then threw it like he should have been hit in the face with a seven minute pressure. They didn't have a, they didn't have a blocker for one of our free runners. So I, 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 I do actually like the call. I, I like pressuring, but we just got to execute it way better. So, I mean, that was a long winded talk about, you know, the last drive, but it was a mix of, you know, we, we, we changed up the look a lot. We ran man pressure, five man pressure, six man pressure. We did a cover zero blitz. We did a drop eight. We did a four-man rush. So we ran a couple different coverages and mixed it up on them. So, you know, don't just look at that last play and be like, oh, you know, you know, you know, Gene's running a cover zero blitz. Like, I, I don't mind the call in that scenario. We just got to execute it. And I don't know if it was, you know, communicated it well to the defense because it was awful communication in terms of our pressure. I'm not talking about the coverage. I'm talking about we should have hit the quarterback before he, he got a chance to get the ball out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Yeah, a lot of the times in football, the execution can can make the call look like it it was a bad one. Um, but if but if a team goes out and and does what they're supposed to. We're not we're not sitting here talking about you know what was the play call. We're we're sitting here talking about uh, a, a a sack that ends the game. Um, 
But yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting because a lot of North Carolina fans have been asking for this North Carolina team to be more aggressive and not do this bend but don't break approach. And then North Carolina does send pressure and, and Duke is able to exploit it. And, uh, you know, if, if that was something that during the timeout Elko noticed, I think you just have to give him a, a hat tip knowing that he was going to be able to uh, take advantage of that and then tip your hat right back to Drake May for for having the the answer to go back and, and kick the field goal. But we're going to take a quick break so I could tell everybody about Johnny T-Shirt. I was back in Chapel Hill this weekend, visited our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. Great people. You can visit them on Franklin Street. If you're not going to be in Chapel Hill, you could visit them online at johnnytshirt.com. You get your football gear. The basketball season's underway. You can get your basketball gear. They've got the jerseys. They've got the T-shirts, the hats. It's getting colder. You can get the cold gear. Great people, great customer service. Visit them online at johnnytshirt.com or on Franklin Street. And don't forget, Inside Carolina, premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. Shot, last thing we're going to talk about before the the Clemson, uh, previewing the Clemson game. The special teams for Carolina outside of the field goal operation has been a, a catastrophe this year. I have a list of everything that's happened to them. Uh, and then you could. You I don't, I don't know if we have enough time for that. <laughs> Three block punts, two onside kicks allowed. They gave up a fake punt for a first down. They've given up a kickoff return for a touchdown. They're dead last in the conference in punting. And they dropped a fair catch on a kickoff at the one. The first, the first part of that question I want to ask you is: is why do you think there's such an emphasis on North Carolina to to put these playmakers back there on on KOR, but they're just going back there to just fair catch every time? It doesn't even seem like there's an option to let them return. And you know, why are you putting somebody like Doc Chapman, who who's you know great speed, electric in space? Why are you putting them back there just to fair catch the ball every time? And then with everything you've seen on special teams, is it a borderline miracle that this team is eight and two? So the first thing, so I haven't seen North Carolina practice in two years, but watching them on Saturdays, it is obvious to me that we do not spend enough time at practice on special teams. You know, Larry Fedora, his era was you know, generally really good at special teams. And if you went to our practice, we, you know, we had a, we had a 20, 25 minute special teams meeting, you know, in in the, before practice, we had a special teams walkthrough and in the meet of practice, you know, we had a 20 minute live special teams period. We, you get what you emphasize in college football. And to me, when I watch this team is I bet I could go to their practice and they don't emphasize special teams at practice because it doesn't show up on game day. And, um, you know, we're, we're having a lot of issues and they're costing us a lot of, you know, they're costing us field position and they're costing us points. And in the end, you know, they've, they haven't, I guess, in a way indirectly cost us two games. Um, you know, I think when we put our playmakers back there, I think that we're trying to mask, you know, put tape on, you know, our special teams unit and just think that we have an elite athlete at returner. We can cover up all the lack of execution and the lack of, uh, preparation on our special teams unit. That's what it, to me, it looks like. It's like, Hey, we're going to put doc doc Chapman back there who can really go 
Um, you know, we don't spend that much time on special teams during the week, but this guy will cover us up and make us look good because he can, you know, he'll break one occasionally. Um, but obviously we don't spend enough time on the fair catch rules. Um, you know, that, that was a huge, huge, um, momentum swing, swing in the game. You know, we start with the ball in the one yard line, Drake throws an interception the next play. And I think it was the worst throw of his career. But if, if we start the ball on the 25, you know, we're obviously in a different play call and, you know, the game is totally different. Um, so it, it's crazy how one little special teams error can completely affect the offense and the defense. And then, you know, the, the fake punt didn't end up hurting us, I guess, because we got to stop, um, you know, after they got a first uh, first down. But, I mean, still just the the concept of them being able to execute a, you know, fake punt on us. The, the surprise onside kick was mind-blowing to me. Like when you're doing a surprise on onside kick as a as a, a team, like those are all the the things that the exact time frame of the game. You're down in the game. It's the fourth quarter. It's not like four minutes to go. It's not like you're lining up and doing an onside kick. There's nine minutes to go, so maybe there's a possibility you could kick it deep. But if you look at the configuration of our kickoff return unit on that play, there's 20 yards. First of all, we have three guys in the front line. There's 20 guys. 20 yards between the center center blocker and the and the guy on the wing. Like that's a ton of space for for Duke to Larry Fedora would have had a field day against them. Larry Larry Fedora and Nick Weiler would have had 10 onside kicks a year. If they were playing this special team guru, Luke Pascal. Luke Pascal. Um, would have schemed them up for days. Yeah. I mean, it just starting from the the coaching of being of warning the guys on the on the on the kickoff return unit, hey be alert for an onside kick. And then the actual scheme itself was awful. You know, they Duke had like three guys within an area and we had two guys within 25 yards. So it's just, that was, that was all coaching that I put that hundred percent on the coaching, you know, that the players are, especially on special teams, like you have to overly coach special teams because, you know, a lot of those guys aren't getting reps on offense or defense. Those are the only couple of plays they play in a game. And special teams is essentially more, there's more, you know, space out there. So it's, it's, you know, the guys aren't really used to it. So that was, that was an awful, awful, I, I put that as probably the worst coaching mistake we've made on special teams all year. Yeah. The special teams has been, again, outside of a punt returned by Elijah Huzzy and outside of the, the field goal kicking, Special teams has been a, a disaster this year, but Carolina eight and two. What are the vibes going into next Saturday at Death Valley at Clemson? Uh, it feels like North Carolina is catching Clemson at, at the worst time. Clemson's kind of been revitalized. Tyler from Spartanburg, that call might have saved Clemson's season. Yeah. What What are the vibes? I think you insert that Drake Drake Stoop speech the other day. You know, there's still tons to play for. You know, obviously, ten win season, possible possibility of a big bowl game. You know, we haven't beaten Clemson since 2010. Um, so, you know, those are three huge things right there. You know, obviously, the march to get ten wins, and then, you know, say we don't go to the ACC championship, and you know, Florida State, you know, beats whoever by a bunch, then maybe we can leapfrog them and go to the go to a bigger bowl. You know, so. Yeah. It happened to us uh, in uh, 2015. It happened to us in 2015, exactly. So, you know, maybe we can get retaliation for that. But, you know, we still have tons to play for. Drake's legacy as a, as a 
college football player as a Tar Heel, you know, 10 wins is, is a big deal. Um, uh, I think beating Clemson in Death Valley, I don't, I don't know the last time that a UNC team has done that. I know the last time we beat them was 2010, but that was at home. Um, and, and look, Clemson's been playing well the last two weeks. They aren't the team that, um, you know, got whooped by Duke earlier in the year or, you know, lost to Florida State. But, um, you know, it, this is a big one. I, I I think the vibes are great. I, you know, like I like I opened the podcast with, you know, we're eight and two and ranked in the top 25 and watching a generational quarterback. So let's try to win as many as we can and not end up like USC. Yeah. <laughs> That'll take us to our pick of the weekend presented by our friends at Congruity. Congruity is a North Carolina-based national coverage, local presence, personal support type of company straight from the Tar Heel State. They are empowering small and mid-sized business owners with HR and payroll outsourcing, enabling you to grow your business while they take care of your greatest assets, your people, and they are doing it with top-of-the-line technology and services for every stage of your business's growth with a state-of-the-art online platform, and Congruity is obsessed with customer service. They become part of your team. They do the heavy lifting, providing essential admin support with a single point of contact and support available on demand with services that are tailor-made for your company, transforming organizations. Congruity has helped hundreds of businesses improve and enhance their day-to-day lives, level up your HR capabilities, save money, unlock game-changing growth, Visit congruityhr.com backslash Tar Heels to learn more about Congruity. Fill out a quick form to be connected to their consultants, and they'll give Inside Carolina listeners and viewers a payroll and HR assessment for free. That's congruityhr.com backslash Tar Heels. Shot. The boys got hot last weekend, and don't let the boys get hot. You at NC State minus two and a half versus Wake Forest. NC State wins easily. NC State, one of the one of the hottest teams in, in college football the past couple of weeks with their defense. And then I had Missouri plus one and a half at home against Tennessee. A, a easy win. I was texting you by about the second quarter. Hey, mm-hmm. we, we got the we got the job done for for the listeners who are who are listening to our picks. Who are you going with this week? You're three and three. I'm four and two. I feel this is the week you get over five hundred. I can feel it. Absolutely. I got two. You know, I'm getting greedy this week. I feel good yeah. coming off that that NC State pick. Uh, so Washington is minus one in the at Oregon State. You know, I, I I've seen Washington play a few times. That quarterback is legit. There's, you know, they got firepower all, all across the offense. So I'm taking them minus one at Oregon State. That is that is my lock of the year right there. Um, and then I'm also going to throw in one for all of the Heels fans. I'm going UNC plus seven. I saw it at plus seven and a half. I think at worst it's a seven point game. I, I think it's going to be a field goal game one way or the other. Um, you know, I could see us losing by three. I could see us winning by three. So that plus seven will guarantee you, a, you know, be, be in the, in the green for your, for your betting. Um, but I, I think we're going to have a tight one down in death Valley this weekend. So um, I think UNC plus seven is the move and the Washington minus one is, is the lock. I'm going to go Big Ten country. This is a a hold-your-nose bet uh, because I've seen their offense this year. Their their over-unders are in the 29s and the 30s. I'm going Iowa minus four at home against Illinois. This is a game – I might have to win this game 5 nothing. 
to co- to cover <laughs> to cover minus four. Uh, I just watched them this past weekend. They beat Rutgers twenty-two nothing. Their their defense is unbelievable. They have a a great punter. Whenever you're you're bringing up the punter as why you're betting on the team, <laughs> not usually the you're, the you're, best reasoning. But Tory Taylor is is the best punter in the country by by a wide margin. I saw a stat. Uh, I think the exact stat was Iowa is like ten and one in games that Tory Taylor punts at least eight times. So it's like, hey, second down. Let's let's send him out. Let's <laughs> let's win this field possession early before we throw an interception. Uh, so I'm gonna go Iowa minus four. Those are our picks of the week presented by Congruity. But North Carolina, the 3:30 kickoff in Death Valley, ESPN. We'll see. I wonder if Clemson's gonna be ranked going into going into this matchup when the rankings come out. By the time what's their what's their record? They're uh, they're six and four, but they're they're starting to get four. hot. They're trending. They're starting yeah. to get hot. They have they have two. They beat Georgia Tech pretty pretty handily, and the the other win was against a, a top fifteen uh, Notre Dame Notre Dame team. And I feel like Clemson is just one of those teams where they're kind of like USC. If if they're even floating somewhat above five hundred, uh, people want to the rank them. Of the and, doubt for sure. Yeah, people want to rank them and 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 see that uh, a number next to their name. But North Carolina, we'll see how it goes in Death Valley. Currently a, a seven and a half point underdog uh total is 58 shot man looking forward to breaking down the clemson game appreciate everybody watching and listening appreciate it guys it was a very bright shining light sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers matt damon and ben affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band youtube youtube they represent a personification of our resistance the hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva sarajevo Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.